Well, if you're joining us here for the first time or if you haven't been here in a while, we've been looking at First Chronicles and uh, looking at a few important passages as we go through First Chronicles. And we see it's primarily about David's life and about David and his conquest and the kingdom of Israel. And now, today, we're again in our second week here in the last chapter of First Chronicles. We're in chapter 29. It's the end of First Chronicles, but it's also the end of David's reign. And it's at the end of his life. And here he is for the last time, and he's addressing his people. He's addressing the assembly, and he's addressing them about preparations that he's making to build this temple, to build a temple that he himself won't see built, but his son Solomon, that's Second Chronicles, that Solomon's going to build. So he's just preparing the temple. He's just getting the stuff ready. He's just getting the materials done. And so last week we looked at this, and if you heard the passage I was just read, there's a lot about giving. A lot about what David gave, and a lot about what he's asking people to give, and a lot about what the people gave. And so last week, we talked more practically about uh, how God wants us to give. But if you remember last week, what I said was this, that although on the surface, this passage seems to be about giving, the passage is actually more than about giving. It is about giving, but it's also more than just about giving, right? How do I know this? Now, let's do just a quick little Bible study here. It's going to be like two minutes, but there's a bit of a structure here. In verses 2 and 5, you're told how much David gave. He gave gold, he gave silver, he gave bronze, he gave precious stones, and it was generous. Verse 2 to 5, that's what David gave. Verse 6 to 8, we're told how much the people gave. They gave gold, they gave silver and bronze and their monetary values, they gave precious stones, and it was generous. So verse 2 and 5, David gave. Verse 6 to 8, his people gave. And right in the middle, right in the middle, we're given this question from David at the end of verse 5, who says, Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself to the Lord? So you see, in the first half, we're told what David gave. In the second half, we're told what people gave. But the middle, we have this question about giving willingly. And this question, then, is the focus of this section from verses 2 to 8, the main point. And what is the main point? And you might think, well, of course, the main point is, well, David gave to the building of the temple, and the people gave to the building of this temple, so the focus is, is about giving to the building of the temple. But look carefully at the end of verse 5. Yes, David asked, who will offer willingly? But then he says, consecrating himself to the Lord. Consecrating himself to the Lord. Now, what does that mean? What does consecration mean? What does it mean to consecrate. And generally speaking, if you look it up, it simply means to dedicate or to devote something for a particular purpose or reason, and oftentimes religious. You're dedicating something. You're uh, consecrating something. It means you are devoting something to a religious purpose. That's what it generally means. So in verse 5, at the end, you would expect David to say this, who will give willingly, consecrating, dedicating, devoting your treasure, devoting your giving to the Lord. But that's not what he says in verse 5, is it? What does he say? He says, who will give willingly, consecrating, not his giving, but consecrating himself. Consecrating himself. Do you see this? The language of David is, uh, is more than just about giving their wealth or their finance. He's not just asking for financial support. He wants more. He's not asking for all that they have. 
He's asking for all that they are. He wants their whole heart. In your giving, will you give willingly, consecrating, devoting, committing your whole self to the Lord? Isn't it interesting? The phrase to consecrate yourself, it's only used one other place in the Old Testament. Do you know where? It's usually reserved for priests. The priests had this ritual where they were to consecrate themselves to God. And what that meant for them was that their whole life was to be dedicated in complete service to God in the temple. But here in this passage, David is not talking to priests, but he's talking to all of Israel, and he's asking all of them, who will consecrate himself to the Lord? Consecration, then, for David, is an absolute, unconditional, wholehearted devotion and self-giving to God. And the giving of their wealth was only a token of their self-giving. In other words, they were able to give their wealth willingly from their hearts because they had already given their whole heart. They had already given themselves wholeheartedly. And in this way, they consecrated themselves to the Lord. That's what it means. You know, uh, growing up, my dad was an avid golf fan. He, he played like every day, every other day, every weekend when he had the chance. And he would make me come with him. I was probably like in sixth grade, seventh grade. And I would caddy. I would just caddy for him all day. And we were living in Louisiana. You know, it's hot in the summers. And you're just a kid carrying in. He wouldn't rent a cart, right? He would make me pull his huge like leather caddy, uh, you know, bag, golf bag, and just carry it all through the day. And he would try to teach me to play with him. And I, until this day, I don't like golf. No offense. I don't like golf, right? Because it's just so particular. But I love putting. It was easy. I thought it was just much more easier than trying to learn a full swing. But he would teach me over and over again. And I would actually dedicate myself to it. I would actually practice and practice and practice so that I could not just carry that bag around. So I could actually just walk with my dad and just play golf, right? But I didn't like it. And this is what he said to me. I know you're practicing hard. I know you're practicing hard, and you could get it. But you've got to be all in. You have to be all in if you want to learn to play golf. You can't just learn putting. You've got to be all in. And I wasn't. I wasn't there. And so that's why I didn't like it, and I didn't keep up with it. Here in our passage, David is not just asking them just to give up all their stuff. He's asking them, are you all in with God? Are you all in? Or are you just doing just your part? You see, oftentimes in our life, as we try to organize, and, and you have very busy lives and many important things are going on, we have this pie graph where we divide up what's important, where we can devote ourselves, what time and what finance and what giving we can do. And we divide it up. You know, we've got family here. We've got children here. We've got church here. Uh, we've got maybe parents there. We've got work here. And, and it's... It's a division that we make so that we can kind of figure out how we place our importance and time in, right? But let me just ask you this one question, all right? Is God a part of your pie graph? Is God a part of your life? Because the truth is this. If we understand David, God's not interested in being a part of your life. He's not interested in just being a slice of the pie graph, where you've got your friends and your family and your school and your work, and then you got him. 
He's not there to make your promotion come true or to be in your life so that you could actually make a few extra bucks uh, so that you might get married one day or so that maybe your children will be accepted into the best school. Your life is not ultimately about what you are doing or wanting to do. It's about what God has already done and is continuing to do in your life. God's not a part of your life. You're to be a part of his life, the life that he gave you for your blessing, but his glory. Isn't that what Paul says in Romans chapter 12? That you are to give yourselves, consecrate yourselves as a living sacrifice, which is an acceptable act of worship. And the question is this, are you doing this? Those of us who go to church, those of us who have confessed Christ, are, are, have you done this? Are you all in? Or are you still just kind of working from that pie graph? Okay? Now let me explain something about this to help you understand why this has to be an all-in. Because consecration is relational. It's relational. Now listen carefully. Oftentimes we come to God, and as we come to God weekly, week after week, Sunday after Sunday, community group after community group, whatever it is, it becomes very routine. We come to church, we come to the meetings, and the danger is, because it's so routine, it becomes like business, a religious kind of business. And everything sort of becomes transactional. We come and we do our part, others come and do their part, hopefully God does his part, and we get something out of it. And it can easily become very mechanical, very transactional, very artificial. But when we come to God, when we consecrate ourselves to God, it's not just transactional or mechanical. It's personal and it's relational. And I think we need to remember this. How do I know? How do I know if I'm treating God the right way? Look, here's the thing. If you have ever said to God or said to yourself subconsciously, God, I will do this. I will be more like this. I will do this and this and this for you if only you would just do this. If only you would just hear this one prayer. I will be more like this. I promise God I will do all of these things if you just give me one more thing. If you've ever said that to yourself or to God, you're doing business. You're trying to negotiate with the creator of the universe. And really, whatever is on the other side of that if that's your non-negotiable. That's what you really, really want. But you don't want God. You want what you think God can do for you. And if that's the case, then God's just a commodity, and your devotion to him is conditional. It's conditional upon whether he holds up his end of the deal. That's not consecration. That's a transaction. And your relationship, God, is just business. You're seeking the work of God the blessings of God in your life without really giving your life. You're trying to get what you think God might be able to give you without giving your whole self, your commitment. And if that's what it is, then you're just using God, aren't you? You don't really want him personally or relationally. He's just a means to your ends. Now remember this. Why is David asking the people to give? Well, it's to build this temple. But that wasn't his ends. That wasn't his final goal. 
The temple was to house the presence of God. His goal was to get the presence of God closer to his people, to get God's presence closer to himself. The means was the finance, what he needed. But the end was God himself. For David, God wasn't a means to an end. He was the end. He is the goal of his life. And he wanted more of God. It was relational, and it was personal, and it wasn't just business. Those of us who are married today, you're very busy with work, with raising your kids, with having a life. Very busy. And oftentimes you fight. You conflict over many things. Why don't you do more of this? Why can't you help more of that? And you just get into these issues where you start anger towards one another, words against each other. But in the midst of this, I want you to ask yourself this one question. Did you marry your spouse because of what he could do for you? Did you marry your spouse because of what she could do for you? Or did you marry your spouse for your spouse? For your spouse. For her, for him. Not for what he or she could do. All that other stuff is just business. The important thing is your relationships. Do you love your spouse because of him? Period. Or because of what he or she is not doing or doing. Everything else is business. And what we need to remember is God is the same. The God of the Bible isn't just this impersonal cosmic force that kind of makes the world go around. He's a person. He's very personal. He's very relational. And when you consecrate yourself to God, when you give yourself to God relationally and personally, the goal of your life becomes God himself. He's the end. He's not just the means. His presence is the end. Now, I will confess, I struggle with this more probably than anyone. When I first got sick in April and I couldn't do anything, I prayed a lot. I think I told you this. I prayed a lot. I prayed every day. But you know what I prayed? You know how I prayed? I prayed like this. God, if you would just heal me, I promise I will do this and this and this. If you just do this for me, if you just get me through this, this whatever this is, I promise I'll be, I'll be more faithful. I'll, I'll be nicer to people in church. You know, I'll, 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 you know, I don't know. I'll do it. I promise. I promise. And guess what happened? Nothing. And you know what happens? Here's how you know you're doing business. I stopped praying, but I got angry. Angry. Frustrated. What? Why not? And I became cold. The Lord has brought some of you into difficult experiences and trials. Maybe some of you are enduring pain of various kinds. Maybe you're wrestling with a disease or your health. Maybe, maybe you've got struggles in your relationship, in your family, your marriage, with your children, with your parents, and the, and the relationships are strained, and it's hard. Maybe some of you... You've had these dreams that you wanted to do in your life, and they kind of just get dashed to the ground, and now just there's no point. How do you respond right now? How do you respond? And I think in our passage, David, God is asking you to view even your conduct, even your response in the middle of those trials as consecration. Will you give your believing response to God, to your struggle, to your pain, to your trials, to your disappointments as an act 
of worship to him. Will you say, even in the midst of your difficult moments, like Job says in chapter 13, my God, my God, even if you slay me, I will hope in you. Because that's what he's asking for. Not your stuff, you. He's asking you to give you, all of you, to him. Willingly. And I know this is hard. Personally, for a fact, I know this is hard. This is hard to do. Some of you, there are moments when you give your heart, and you mean that's your emotions, but you haven't given your intellect. You haven't studied. You haven't learned. Others of you, maybe you learned a lot. You've given your intellect, but, but you haven't given your time, your service, your effort. And there's all those of you, you've given all your time to God, but you haven't given your finances, whatever that means. And it's hard then to be wholly consecrated to God. But here's your hope in him. This is it. David gives up his treasures to build a temple to get God, right? The people, verse 6 to 8, give up their treasures to build a temple to get God. But hundreds of years later, there's going to be someone in the line of David who shows up and says, you tear this temple down, I will raise it in three days. I'm the temple. I'm the one. I'm the only one who is totally and completely committed and devoted to God. I am consecrated to him and his will. And he went to the cross, and he gave his life, and he died. He got torn down. He got abandoned by his father on the cross. He got God's absence so that you and I would receive his presence in the power of his spirit. David and the people gave up their wealth to get the presence of God, but it was Jesus who gives up his wealth, his status, his position, his life, in order to give us his presence, to be with us in the good, but also in the bad. Jesus built the temple. He called the temple church. And he calls us the church. First Peter says, we are a chosen race. And what? A royal priesthood. A holy nation. And so it's in response to him as his royal priesthood. Like priests in the Old Testament to say, Jesus, because what you've graciously done for me, I humbly give all myself to you. I am consecrated to you. There's no better song, I think, to explain what this means practically. There's no better hymn than that hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. And I know we sing songs, but do you ever listen to the lyrics? Do you ever read what, what you're singing? What you're singing? And, 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 and maybe we'll sing this, I don't know, but as you look at this hymn, listen to what it says. Take my life and let it be what? Consecrated unto thee. And you keep reading the lyrics. And it says, take my moments and my days, take my hands and my feet, take my voice and my lips, take my silver and my gold, take my intellect, take my will, make it yours, take my heart, it's yours, take my love, and at the very end, take myself, and I will be ever only all for thee. That's a song of consecration. Are you consecrated to the Lord? Have you committed? Or are you just trying to use it? And let me give you two applications of this, if you understand what I'm talking about. First, when we come to God with a consecrated heart, that's when you start to experience freedom. Here's what I mean. There are things in life that I know I ought to do. 
And there are things in life that I know I want to do. But the problem is, sometimes what I ought to do is not the same as what I want to do. In fact, there's often conflict. Sometimes what I ought or what I should and what I want are completely at odds. They're opposites. For example, I know I ought to do more dishes, but I want to just watch TV. I know I ought to try and be more patient with my children, but I just want to scream and yell. I know I ought to say, I should say, I'm sorry for for what I did or for what I said, but I really want to just say nothing and do nothing. And I know I ought to go to church, and I know I ought to pray, and I should read the Bible, but there are just times where I just don't want to. But one of the keys of the Christian life is this. It's not just knowing what you should be doing, but it's understanding that you are to want to do what you ought to do. You see that? Christian freedom isn't just, well, you can do whatever you want. That there's no longer any more commands to obey. But the freedom that we're talking about is by God's work in your heart. The more and more you actually give yourself to him, the more and more you actually want to do what you ought to do. Your want-tos and your ought-tos in Jesus slowly start to become the same thing. When you surrender yourself to God, you're free from that conflict, that struggle. That's been in your heart. You begin to experience that freedom. When we wholly give ourselves to God, devoted to him, what you want to do is, becomes what you ought to do. Let me put it this way. It's possible to give your money, to give your time, to give your effort without really giving yourself. But on the other hand, when you give yourself, when you're all in, it's impossible not to give willingly. And not just willingly, but generously from your heart. That's freedom. Okay? And the second thing that I'll leave you with with this. When we struggle, when we fail, and, and, and you will fail, you remember what David was working for all along, but what Jesus actually accomplished what he lived for and died for, and that is the direct presence of God. What that means is this. You don't need to wait till next Sunday. You don't need to wait till the next Bible study, the next community group, the next prayer meeting, the next appointment with the pastor. These things are all there to help you, but you have direct access to God's presence now. Right? You can go to him right now. Think about this. David was dying. Their leader was going to die. And he says in verse 1 or 2, he says, you know what, my son Solomon, he's young. He's inexperienced. Can you imagine the people? They've been looking up to David all this long. They've been looking at him as as their leader, their spiritual leader, their military leader. And now he's going to end. Who's going to lead us? Where are we going to be? And he says, I know. I know my son's experienced and he's young. Well, what's Solomon going to do for us? I think he knew that the people were a little bit afraid. But that's why he wanted to get the temple of God in. That's why he wanted to get the presence of God in. He says, you don't need David. You don't need me. You need God. And you go directly to him. Directly to him. You can go to him right now. In that moment, 
in prayer or in the Bible or in meditation. You have all the resources of God's mercy and grace and love and forgiveness and patience and hope right at the front door of your heart and at your disposal. You can engage with your God personally and relationally, not because you're perfectly consecrated to him, but because he's personally consecrated himself to you. You can engage with him more, grow in this relationship, learn to say to him from your heart, like the final words of that hymn, Jesus, take myself and I will ever be, ever only and all for thee. That's the privilege we have today. Let's pray.